Welcome to another exciting episode of Founded and Grounded, the podcast for startups and the entrepreneurial community. Over the next half hour or so, we'll be sharing with you the wisdom, the learnings and experiences of those who have gone before on their business journey. And we'll be sharing with you what's and all their story and hopefully giving you some advice and inspiration along the way. I'm Andrew Parsonage and great to have you with us. Also with me in a different studio this time. Every, every episode we seem to record in a different studio. And sitting across the table from me is business startup guru, Mr. Ollie Collard. Ollie, good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good mate. You all right? Looking yeah, very, very well, thank looking you. Looking very fresh and chipper. Now, just to, for listeners, Ollie's just been on a week's holiday, so that's why he's looking so <laughs> fresh and, and chipper and everything else. So we're going to try and tap into that energy if we can, Ollie. Are you ready, ready to go? Absolutely, Andrew. Uh, excellent stuff. Okay, so we are on edition number seven. And this week, Ollie, who have we got? I'm speaking to James and Jolie from Orca. Um, who founded the company back in 2011. So they've got some real snippets of inspiration in terms of their startup journey and how they've scaled their business now to employ eight people. Okay, so here on Founded and Grounded, as you may know by now, every episode we have a different theme. Ollie, the theme for this week is? How to go into business with a friend. So, so far we've talked about things like crowdfunding, marketing, disrupting, but this is an interesting one. This is where the human element of running a business comes into it. So how do you go into business with a friend? Is it possible? Can you stay friends? We'll be finding out over the next 25 minutes or so here on Founded and Grounded. Okay, Ollie, so let's crack on. And we found out this week that our guest business is Orca, who are a design agency based here in Bristol. Yeah, strategic design agency based on the Bath Road. What, what is a strategic design agency, just for the uninitiated like myself, for example? So they really get to know you and your business um, and your future direction and where you want to take the business. And they basically help you bring your brand to life. It could be companies that have been going for a while and they've, they've kind of outstripped their original aims and mm. they're now rebranding to kind of fit in line with their future growth plans. Okay. Now, just before we uh, hear from uh, James and Jolie, just to explain to listeners, like, you know these guys already. You've, you've grown up with them, in effect, haven't you? Yeah, James and I actually went to primary school together. Yeah, it's quite funny. I, I specifically remember back in primary school when we were always trying to kind of draw night ticks. I don't know why, yeah. but um, James was always the best at drawing these night ticks. Right. Looking backwards and connecting the dots now, that's quite interesting. Okay, so we're going to hear from them both now. You caught up with them recently in a cafe somewhere in Bristol. You get all the good gigs here. You get to go out to all these nice cafes and do the interviews, which is, you know, we're going to have to sort that one out. <laughs> what, did you, what did you speak with them first about? So really how and why they started the business. Um, they talked about their kind of separate freelance journeys and when they decided to take the pivot into starting Orca. Orca was founded in 2011. Joel and myself, we're uh, old school friends, so we've always been kind of passionate about entrepreneurship and wanted to do something for ourselves. After I finished university, Joel had built up quite a successful freelance career. We decided kind of now was the time. It was the back of the last recession. Things were quite difficult. A lot of agencies were making cutbacks and redundancies, and we thought now was a really good chance to kind of offer something new and unique to the market and set up a different type of uh, agency. So I think in the early days, 
we were just like friends from school and then we'd always like spoke about setting up a creative business together and yeah like James says I was freelancing James had gone to uni so we've both done like two different routes of design both of which have their pros and cons and then we kind of joined forces we got our first studio in 2011 in the early days we were still kind of had both of our own like freelance clients so in the early days it was very much like we slowly joined together to form the business yeah we weren't actually a, a limited company at first we started as a, just a partnership and we actually called it the collaborative like an orca collaborative because yeah. that's exactly what we were we were bringing in our own individual clients and kind of when a job needed some skill sets that ne- that i didn't necessarily have i'd bring joel on on that job and then vice versa and then we started getting to a point where it was just like well let's just combine and set this up together cool so was any messy moments um before you actually decided to set up a limited company well potentially more just like the organization factor like we we were both sort of quite lax in the early days we're both freelancing and the switch from being a freelancer who's going out for quite a few beers the night before starting work at half 10 setting up a business where you you know you need to get there earlier you need to be more aligned and that was was a, a slow transition So what does Orca offer? We're predominantly a brand and digital strategy agency. So we offer brand development from the initial concept right through to rollout. As digital strategy, we do a lot of small-scale CMS websites as well as a lot of digital marketing and creative campaigns around that environment. Our offering is what it is, but the type of people we work for changes loads. So obviously we work with you and you're like a very small startup, but then we also work with very large, like... We're working with a massive business consultancy firm in London, which is a full-scale branding project. So it's everything from the, the logo through to the, through to the website, through to the ongoing marketing retained package, which will be a very big client, but we love that variety. I think we've always tried to not be sector-specific, and we like the variety that comes with working with different businesses in different environments. So we've always wanted to be like that and try and try and keep an interest in various sectors although we do have our focal areas so not-for-profit and charities is something we specialize in as well as the education and culture sector as well and that's just purely down to what we love doing and the clients we love having so we've tried to pick our clients and the jobs purely out of enjoyment really so guys you're based here at here studios now and you've got eight staff how did you fund the business Initially, we naively went into this thinking that we could kind of just like set up a website and then the next day we'd have clients coming through. Didn't quite work like that. So we had £500 of savings at the time each. We spent that on a first run of flyers, website and some business cards, which looking back in hindsight was a terrible idea. We really should have invested that money in, in better places. But we got to the stage of running the business for about a year and a half, I think, and we, we started getting a few more clients and then we, it quite quickly became apparent that we needed some additional funding. We got a small five grand loan from the bank at that point and that kind of helped us kickstart growth and that's the only funding we've got to, to date, actually. That's very impressive, guys, in terms of, you know, not taking on a lot of debt and actually just growing the business from that organic profits within the business as well. So that's great. Have there been any issues along the way in terms of managing your cash flow? Yes, there certainly has. I guess like one of the main ones was when we started to employ people in about year two or three, I think it was. That was when we took on our first staff member, actually, in year two. And obviously, the whole format changes then, doesn't it? Because before, we're just trying to feed ourselves, and now we've got other mouths to feed. So it's like, 
ultimately, me and James have always believed that you got you know you got to pay your staff and your 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 suppliers before you pay yourself. Otherwise, it's just a bad way to run a business, right? So we had a lot of business, we had a lot of interest, but cash flow was very difficult because clients would pay late and we didn't have as many kind of policies in place in the early days. So we were paying our staff and we were getting working really hard to get the work, but then we ultimately weren't able to pay ourselves. I think at that point we both had to move home at, at times as well. I think definitely like year two, I remember having to go back to my mum's for six months. It, it, was, it was tough, it was super tough. And then it gradually steadied out and we learned better ways to manage cash flow with clients and how we managed the juggle the whole kind of money that we had but yeah there was definitely tough times in the early days right ollie so we're going to focus first on cash flow we're going to talk mainly about cash flow anyway because it's an interesting one there so uh, we heard about the origins of, of orca and how they came to be it was hard going for them i mean it, it's a well-trodden path this story about you know when you first set up in business it takes a good two three years before you sort of being sort of slightly well better off or, or wealthier and it was no different for these guys was it no and i think they they didn't have the kind of policies and procedures in place in the early days probably their you know terms and conditions may be a bit loose they probably had you know 30 days terms of payment i mean i'd personally recommend every startup to put 14 days in there in terms of actually getting paid because um, that really helps in terms of managing that cash flow. Mm. They probably started working with some bigger clients who, you know, I think Jolie said perhaps they were a bit naive. They probably took longer to pay. You know, some large businesses are up to 90 days. I mean, we've covered that in other episodes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, all these things add up and affect the bottom line. I mean, naivety is something that you will get, I suppose, with everyone who starts a business in the early days. I suppose the euphoria of being in business for yourself and wanting to please a client, wanting to get business in, you will be naive in a way, just in order to keep things moving. So I suppose all those business essentials will kind of go out the window a bit. Yeah, and I think you're probably, as you say, trying to please your your very first customers, mm-hmm. which is obviously very important because that affects your reputation and referrals and everything like that. So they're probably trying to under-promise and over deliver yeah. on their on their offer. Yeah, well, you, I suppose you do load yourself up a bit, really, don't you? Because you just you don't want to turn that business away. I mean, it is so hard. I mean, you know, Ollie, you know, it is so hard to win new business to get new clients. That once they're in, or once there's a, a sniff of business, then you you go all out to to get it over the line. Something that amused me actually that they said, and I think we can all relate to this, is that the five hundred pounds they did have yeah. as cash, they invested on things like business cards, a website, and flyers. Now we sort of laugh at this now, but I think we've all been there. I mean, I've been there. One of the first things you want to do is, oh, we need a business card, or I need a website, or we need some sort of collateral that we can go out and, and market ourselves with. And I'm sure a lot of people listening would would be nodding their heads at this point i mean there's nothing wrong with that but they they sense that it was not the way to go in hindsight yeah i think it's probably instilled in people that's the thing that you do when you set up a business is you need a website you need business cards but i suppose in reality what you need to do is actually drum up some business so (coughs) what's the best way of doing that my advice would be probably go and identify some early potential customers take them out for coffee take them out for lunch use the money on entertaining them Mm. and actually speaking about your passion and why you can actually help them in the first place and I'm sure that money invested in those early days will result in you know your first sales and then you can actually go out and worry about how to deliver those projects that you've promised later down the line so my overarching advice would be to actually go out sell yourself sell your business get those early clients in then worry about things like a website and business cards. Okay, interesting. Uh, and also, let's just look at their origins. I mean, they came into this in, in different ways. One went to university, one didn't. 
one of the questions I was always going to ask you about was the moment at which a freelancer becomes a business owner. So you might be freelancing, you might be doing your work that way, but they obviously had an, an, a moment of realisation where they thought, no, we need to become a business now. It, there's obviously a subtle difference, isn't there, when you want to cross over from one into the other, isn't there, Ali? Yeah, there is. And I mean, they were both happily bumbling along doing their freelance stuff with their clients. Yeah. I think they were taking it a bit more informally. You know, I think Jolly's saying about having a, you know, a few beers the night before, before mm. a client meeting and stuff mm. like that. But I think the mindset shift from actually just being a, a freelancer to running a limited company is a bit different. There are obviously logistical and financial and legal considerations that you need to take into account. I mm. suppose the points are that as a freelancer, you know, you can have a do business through a personal business account. Ultimately, you are the business, so you're not legally protected. Mm. So if someone were to obviously sue you and sue your business, then they'd be suing you personally. Yeah. Whereas obviously, if you've got a limited company, then that's a separate legal entity. And I think they always talked about working together and actually doing something creative together. And I think the one plus one equals more than two in this case. I suppose the moment at which it does get quite real is when you hire people, when you employ people. Now you've got two guys here who are quite fresh into business and within a year or two they are employing people. Yeah, and you know, that's a lot of weight on, on shoulders in their late kind of 20s. Yeah. is a lot of responsibility in terms of, you know, having to account for other people's lives. If you are hiring people, if you're taking on people, that's obviously a sign of success. It means you've got lots of work. You've got more work than you can deal with alone. But then it also comes with its own set of issues and, and requirements, and not least from a taxation point of view. And as you said, extra mouths to feed so that, you know, it, it's all on at that point. Yeah, and I think, you know, it only takes one thing to go wrong. You might have a member of staff that goes on long-term sick mm. or a couple of clients who don't pay on time. Mm. And then suddenly you're really on the back foot in terms of making that payroll. It's a big, big commitment. Right, let's move on to the second part of our interview with Orca. Ollie met with Jolie and James recently. And for this next part, we're going to be looking at the human aspects of running a business and some of the things that they've worked their way through over the years. So, for example, hiring on character, self-development, mentoring, honesty, you name it, we cover it over the next few minutes. Let's uh, hear from them again. I think we've learnt along the way that it's not just about talent when you employ people. Ultimately, we've had some great people work for us and they've, they've bought different skill sets and helped the business grow, but ultimately you're, you're setting up a business to work with these people and you spend so much time with them that you have to actually get on with them character-wise. character, character wise. So now we, we do very much look for personality, similar interests. That's probably equal to their talent and their experience in our employment process. So guys, you set up Walker back in 2011, as we discussed, but you haven't stopped there. Your entrepreneurial traits have come through and you've actually set up another business in the interim. Yeah, we set up Briefbox in 2014. This was actually the brainchild of Jolie. So he, he had this, uh, this idea, this vision that he wanted to set up a, a company that kind of gave back to the community. At the time, we were getting a lot of applicants through to Orca and a lot of these applicants have come straight through the university system and their portfolio showed like quite a, an unrealistic take on what the commercial design environment looked like. And Joel was kind of getting a bit annoyed with it, really. So he set up this design blog, which offered 
practice briefs to the design community and he grew that overnight. The way it grew in a short space of time is quite amazing. Pretty much, James summarised it quite well there, like the setup process. So we had all these people applying for Orca that wanted to work with us, but their portfolios just, they weren't showing work relevant to what we would actually do. So I thought, you know, let's set up a quick blog with some quick practice briefs just to kind of give people a bit of inspiration for work on their portfolio. It was a free blog. It went from 2,000 sign-ups to 5,000 sign-ups. We shared it with a few influencers in the design industry and they were kind of sharing it with their communities because essentially it was a free tool to give people inspiration. We got featured in .NET magazine as like side project of the month, featured by Smashing Magazine, Design Taxi. So then we thought, you know, we think there might be a business here. So we worked out a way to monetize it. We kind of invested in the content and set up paid memberships. So guys, the business must look pretty different today compared to when you guys started out back in 2011. Um, Can you tell me a bit about the differences maybe in processes in terms of people and how you actually conduct business? Yeah, the biggest difference for us is that we've brought on a mentor. So he now sits on the board as a non-executive director. His name is Brian Mansfield. He's been invaluable to the business. He's not just a mentor, he's a mate now. We have monthly board meetings with him and he's helped to structure processes, our individual roles. So there was a lot of confusion at the beginning of what Joel and I were doing. I was creative director, Joel was technical director, but effectively we're doing exactly the same things, kind of stepping on each other's toes and staff didn't know who to go to for what. And we split that now, so I'm more operations as a managing director and Joel's leading his own creative team as creative director and that's been hugely beneficial for the business. We've also spent a significant amount of time and energy on our own personal development so we've been doing uh, individual courses so for example I just graduated from the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business course where I learned a hell of a lot about business processes, finance, management, HR, everything you can imagine about dealing with a business. And I'd say if you can, for a new entrepreneur or a new person starting out, if you can find those courses which build strengths in your personality that you don't quite have yet, I couldn't recommend that more. Yeah. And also, I guess, to like summarise would be when you start out as a, as a startup, obviously within a few years you're going to be the wearer of many hats if you plan out early days like what role you kind of plan to have within the business then you can kind of think about the other people that you would bring in to support those areas that you're never going to be perfect at because you can't do everything and so obviously you guys were friends at school and that's obviously where I know you guys from as well what's it been like having the support of one another as co-founders and have there been any challenges with that as well I would say that now being how many years in a week eight nine the fact that we set up as a partnership has been invaluable like we both say to each other that we would it would never have become what it has become today if it wasn't for each other but you know obviously it's like a married couple like we spend more time with each other than we do with our our friends and our own families of course there's been challenges we're both completely different people i'm a bit scatty and all over the place james can be very anal and to the point but those things combined together is what our business is You know, we're lucky the fact that we've always just been honest with each other. I mean, sometimes tensions will build for a few days and we'll know we need to go and have a coffee and thrash it out. But that's probably been the most important thing about our partnership is that we always kind of talk to each other about problems. Couldn't agree more. I think the way that we both have our different strengths and weaknesses and our different personalities really is what sets the business apart like Joel says he brings that kind of loose creativity and a bit more of an informality to it I'm a bit more structured and organized and actually we need each other to complement each other's personalities I think the fact that it is 
you know, such a close relationship. We were school friends and we've had to keep that strong. We know each other inside out. We were doing an interview the other day and we didn't even need to say anything. We finished the interview, walked up the corridor and we looked at each other and we kind of just laughed because we knew exactly what each other were saying, were thinking um, about that candidate. Like we know, yeah, we know each other inside out. It's great to have that sounding board there and that, that kind of support. Yeah. So when companies are looking for investment, um, a lot of angel investors or VCs often like to invest when there's more than one founder, whether it's two or three co-founders. Can you see the benefit in that, Joel? Yeah, I think definitely. I think not just from like a, an end goal point of view about getting investment, but from the actual just rigmaroles of setting up a business yourself. Like we said before, you have different people that bring different skill sets and to try and be the person setting up a business who does absolutely everything at times can just be impossible so actually as part of setting up your business it should probably be early doors trying to look for that partner that person that can bring the other side of um, other skill sets that you might not have right Ollie so I've got four or five things here in front of me I've scribbled down during that conversation I want to ask you about the thing I like that really resonated with me and I, and I think it's a sign of a very progressive business is about the hiring and the hiring of people based not just on their talent, but also the personality, the character that they bring to that business because you're all sat in an office or you're all working together for the same thing and, and the personalities have to work together, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sat in the office 40 hours a week together. If there's a disruptive person that doesn't get on with the other team members, that's going to cause lots of headaches um, and mean the business isn't focused in one direction. You know, you have to be very careful about who, who you're hiring. We've discussed mentoring quite a few times over the series. What was interesting here was the role of the mentor, they've become a friend. I suppose there's a whole separate question as to can a mentor be a friend, but that's maybe for a different episode. <laughs> but, but also what this person did do is it helped them understand where their strength there is, where their focus should be rather than maybe there being a bit of overlap, that person helped them just to focus on, you look after that bit, you look after that bit, and you're going to work best that way. Yeah, I think um, a mentor can take an outsider's perspective in terms of the business, in terms of A, people, and how skills overlap, and B, processes. So I think that's probably what the mentor did in terms of how to actually set a clearer future direction of the business. I think staff weren't basically sure of who to approach for certain issues so like they were going do I go to Jolie for that or is that James or mm. and so there was no clearly defined internal process so the mentor has taken the outside perspective there's a chap called Brian who scaled a design agency himself taxi studio so he's got fantastic experience yeah. about how to scale a design studio but also the kind of people and process element of that as well okay so here's a question then for anyone listening who hasn't started out on this mentor mentoring mentorship mentee whatever you want to call it uh, journey yet they might be asking themselves the question how do I get a mentor and so w what sort of people should they be thinking of if you're if you're setting out with your business and you're looking for a mentor what's the kind of person they should be looking for it's a really good question and it's a hard one I think ultimately you need to find somebody you actually get on with uh, regardless <laughs> of their experience or skill set because if you're meeting them on the regular basis and you don't have that kind of click between you then it's just not going to work so I think a find someone that you get on with b you probably want someone who's been there and done that so maybe you know set up a business in a similar industry and knows the the industry inside out and someone that you really look up to as well it's hard to find these people I think obviously the more networking you're doing 
uh, that obviously helps. Um, there are various websites that you can look at as well. Um, we'll come back to mm-hmm. that at the end. Mm-hmm. And also just asking for referrals from people you know. Because these are the people who will sometimes tell you the uncomfortable truth. And it may be that all your finely tuned ways of working could get tripped out the window. So I suppose it's, it, you've got to be ready to bite the bullet in that respect. Yeah, you've got to be open to feedback, really. And yeah, they can essentially help you get there a lot quicker than you would have otherwise. Yeah. So their feedback will basically save you loads of time. A friendly critic, absolutely. Just quickly touch upon this also, because it's not something we've discussed a great deal over this series, but self-development. Um, one of the guys there was talking about how they took time out to do the Goldman Sachs course. And again, it's, this is a really hard thing, Ollie, because when you're in a business, you're, you've got your head down, you deliver, deliver, deliver. You've got so much to think about that actually training and self-development can take a back seat. But from what we're hearing there, it, it sounded like actually it was a really important thing for them to do, albeit, okay, they were maybe a few years into their, their business at that point. Yeah, and again, I think it comes back to the mentality of actually being open. From the face of it, you could say, you know, they're, they've scaled their business, they're employing eight plus people, uh, they've got credibility in the industry doing really well. But, you know, as th- as they allude to, you know, being a business is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And they're actually seeking that next step in terms of the business about how to scale it and actually taking time out to do the self-development but also to meet with other business owners on the Goldman Sachs program and network and you know share what keeps them up at night and the headaches and the trials and the tribulations and take a step back from the business is is pivotal. Interesting. I suppose you've got to be really ruthless with your time management and carve out that time for yourself and be a bit selfish for once. I mean, speaking of openness, we said that one of the themes or the theme of this particular podcast was about going to business with friends. And it's very clear from listening to the guys speak that they are very close as friends. They've known each other for a very long time. They have a very honest relationship. But what they were saying was that honesty is critical in terms of working together. Yeah, I I think they can be quite open and frank with one another, which if they have that relationship of honesty, then um, it's easy to work together. One interesting question that came out of that was about the the notion of co-founding. So they've co-founded as friends. That was quite an easy one, really. It felt natural. It felt almost like it was their destiny. Where you have a business with co-founders, is that something that investors look better upon as opposed to say a sole trader do investors feel more comfortable and confident with the idea of a business with co-founders i think so because they have hopefully have complementary skill sets and you know it's hard to build a business with just one person so i think having co-founders definitely helps i think ultimately what the investor is trying to assess is whether they've got the right team in place so it doesn't necessarily have to be another co-founder if they've got maybe a non-exec director with great experience in that industry then that that could be a big plus as well so it's the overall have they got the right team in place is, is the key question they're looking at so what one piece of advice would you pass on to an aspiring entrepreneur job can i actually have two I reckon the first one would be if you've got an idea and you've got a vision and you believe in it, just go for it. Like, for example, my sister's been working for a massive makeup company for the last 10 years and she's sick of it. And she really wants to go out on her own and set up her own beauty thing. And she's been holding back for years and now she's gone and she's done it. And within a few months, she's, she's getting business. I think if you're passionate about it and you put in the work so you can learn the skills to offer it, then there's no reason why you won't do well. And then my second one is invest money where you need to invest it properly. Don't try and make your own logo. Don't try and make your own website. Spend the money and get it done properly so you can focus on what you do best. Perfect. And James, piece of advice from you. 
my piece of advice is kind of double pronged and slightly contradictory actually in its in its terms so i'd say perseverance like joel says know when to persevere you have to keep driving for for your dream but equally know when to quit there are certain times where you'll you'll think of processes or, or ways of doing stuff in your business and you'll keep driving towards trying to make that succeed and actually it can be equally damaging for your business so know when to quit whether that be just a an individual idea or you know a service or an offering you have to know when to let it go and do what's best for your business some great advice there so learn when to pivot and when to persevere exactly so where can people find you so go online, onlyorca.com, or you can find us on any of our social channels following at onlyorca. So what the guys said there, there was, there was nothing new there. Tenacity and perseverance, words that we hear again and again with running your own business. But yeah, it's still true, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it all comes back to your internal mindset about how you think about problems and issues. And, you know, it is hard yakka. You have to overcome daily battles. So I think it is about that perseverance to keep going but also knowing that point where the the balance is actually tipped not in your favor mm. so about the point where to pivot as well is quite important and this must be very difficult for a business owner but knowing also when to quit with a particular idea or a notion or a way of working yeah and i think they found that out the hard way they were saying in the beginning they were offering lots of different services and ultimately they probably weren't getting traction on a few of those so whereas if they actually distill it down into having one or two core offerings and they actually can focus their energy on providing a, a compelling service for those offers. Another interesting point was made about investing where you need to and then spending that money wisely. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about <laughs> rushing out to build your website and get your business cards done. I mean, website's an interesting one because I think a lot of people, that's one of the first things they would do. And there are ways and means out there to make your own websites by paying a little bit of money you can do do it yourself in, in effect likewise with branding and i know when we spoke to ella a couple of podcasts ago i mean this is the route she took she developed her own brand i mean obviously since then she's been able to reinvest in that stuff and do it properly i mean there is a question as to at what point do you do it yourself versus actually mm. do you know what spend a little bit more money and get something that's absolutely knockout i mean what, what are your thoughts on that i suppose it depends on who your customers are if you're selling a very high-end product or service, then having a, a bit of a version one of a brand that's not very good and a, a website that doesn't work probably isn't a great first impression. However, if you are just getting your, your product out there, then I think there's there's merit to doing it yourself and just getting a website out there. You can use the likes of Squarespace, Wix, Strikingly. There's lots of tools to help you on a monthly subscription model and you know use a service like Fiverr and just get a first version of your logo done I personally wouldn't invest in a website and a logo until you've probably got a couple of customers on board and got that early traction so that would be my overarching piece of advice on that there was something else that I wanted to pick up on one of the guys there said something particularly interesting about making sure that you don't over deliver so you sort of focus on the services your core services and what you want to offer and I can personally vouch for that. I mean, I remember when I set out, albeit as a sole trader freelancer, I remember a page on my website which offered eight different things. And looking back at that now, I'm thinking there was no <laughs> way I could realistically offer those to the same high standard without having to subcontract someone to do some of those things, even if I had a, a degree of knowledge or ability. I think if you're looking to do more than two or three services, then you are going to be relying on third-party suppliers, which obviously brings extra headaches, extra potential problems. And ultimately, it's not in your hands. It's outside of your hands. Yeah, and I think people shouldn't beat themselves up about this because big businesses make exactly the same mistake, don't they? 
Yeah, and I think just focusing on your your core service and your core customers is pivotal. You know, there's an old saying about the riches are in the niches. That's, um, that's new on me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the riches in the niches. Yeah, with my American accent there. Excellent. Okay, I have to remember that one. <laughs> Today's abiding message. Thanks for that. Okay, Ollie, well, we're almost done for another episode. Thank you very much indeed to Jolie and James for their time in catching up with you. I'm sure it was actually good to catch up with them anyway, <laughs> rolling back the years. Yeah, no, really good to catch up with the guys. And, you know, I've seen their business develop over the years. They used to have a, a studio back in Stokes Croft and they'd grown the business and now one of the leading creative spaces in Bristol where they're based. It's great to see um, and they're really doing really well. Okay, we'll keep an eye on those guys for the future. Just two or three final things of admin to wrap up on. Firstly, uh, you touched upon it a moment ago, but we spoke about mentoring and how people can get the right mentor for their business. And you mentioned the website, didn't you? Yeah, there's there's one called Mentors Me that you can look on. There's also other websites like the Prince's Trust. If you basically approach your local growth hub, so there'd be uh, basically 39 growth hubs throughout the country. So I'd recommend that as a starting point as well. Just going back to our theme for today, can you go into business with a friend? Ollie, can you go into business with a friend? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I think if you've got a great relationship it is going to be tested at times, but the understanding you have of each other is going to be one of your greatest assets. So I think undoubtedly, yes, having a professional relationship and a friendship is hard, but you can make it work. OK, Ollie, as ever, thank you very much indeed. We are almost done for today. But just before we go, just a reminder of the various ways in which you can follow us. Ollie, do you want to talk me through, talk me through the platforms, Ollie? Okay. Yep, so we're on Twitter, Andrew. We are Founded Grounded and also on Facebook, Founded and Grounded. Excellent. Please do get in touch if you like what you've heard or you've got any further questions or you want to comment on anything you've heard in either this edition or ones that we have broadcast to date. We'd love to hear from you as we continue our series. And, and just to add there, if you would like to feature on the show, we are booked up until June 2020, but we are looking for people for the second half of the year. Also, if you are based in Bristol and one of our listeners, then please be aware that Ollie and myself will be at a special podcast panel event on Tuesday, the 25th of February, just off the Gloucester Road in Bristol. That's around about tea time-ish. So if you keep a lookout on our social feeds, we will confirm dates and venue for that. But that will be Ollie and myself hosted by local networking community talking about this podcast and also featuring one of our guests on the show to date. So please look out for that. We'd love to see you if you're based in Bristol and you want to come along in the evening. We'll be there with the mics and everything else. So please do come along and follow our social channels for more details. That's one to come in the next two, three weeks. Okay, you've been listening to Founded and Grounded with uh, business startup guru, Ollie Collard, and myself, Andrew Parsonage. Ollie, see you again soon. Yep, see you again soon. I look forward to meeting some of our listeners in person. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be speaking to you again on the podcast two weeks from now. Cheerio.